Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Um, our mission trip was great. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> oh, I am. Uh, thank you, Chad, for uh, doing the welcome and, and sharing a little bit about where, where we've been and what we've been doing in the greater Toronto area. God really did bless us with an awesome trip and so proud of our students and our adults who went for a week and we got in early this morning so we're all a little a little tired but we're uh, y'all out there in the green shirts amen Ooh, great power so, <laughs> so um y'all would have been so proud church family of your of your students and the adults who represented the lord and represented our church so so amazingly well and so i was playing basketball i know i should not have been playing basketball I'm too old to be probably 49 next month. That's not, not good to be playing basketball. But I just, I took a shot and I made it, okay? And I uh, just want you all to know, and as I turned to, to just step, literally just walk, um, I felt this searing pain in my, my lower leg and I have torn my calf muscles, what the diagnosis was. And so I've gone to the, the ER there in Canada and then I went to an orthopedic doctor there in Canada and... And so they said, just, you know, a couple of months, it should be, should be good to go. Don't think we need any surgery, but I'll probably need to talk to Dr. Murray. Dr. Murray, how are you doing? <laughs> I probably, probably want to talk to you here, here pretty quick and get your uh, expert uh, uh, advice. So anyhow, I, just, you know, being away from the church, you know, last Sunday we had a wonderful time, uh, but just so looking forward to being back in our church and our fellowship and I do, I do well as long as my foot is elevated. So obviously it's not elevated and it'll start hurting a little bit. And uh, so we, we may have a shorter sermon today, but I don't know. We, we may not. So, all right. I'll, I'll share a little bit standing up, then I'll share uh, a little bit uh, uh, sitting, sitting down. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to 2 Peter. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to finish out the first chapter uh, in our study, in our series of messages, we have been studying living truth. That's the theme of Second uh, Peter. Living hope was the theme of the first epistle. And if you are a guest, God bless you. Thank you for being here. I don't normally dress this casual, but I did want to uh, uh, dress with our students today. These are the shirts that, uh, that we wore. And, uh, but anyhow, you, you're welcome to come. Anyway, you, you, you dress. We welcome you here at Great Hills. Some of our people love to wear coats and ties, and that's awesome. And some people wear uh, a, more, a little more casual, and that's good as well. So uh, we're just glad that you're here. And if you're a guest, let me just add my, uh, uh, my welcome to, to you as well. We're currently studying uh, the book of Second Peter and having a great time. We finished the first, uh, almost finished the first chapter. And now we're in verse 12, and I want to read verses 12 through 21. And the title of our message today is Trustworthy Scripture. And what the Apostle Peter does here is just absolutely exquisite. He he takes us through a bibliology, which is the study of the doctrine of Holy Scripture. And he, he, he just walks us through and, and reminds us of how great the Old Testament is, and he's very cognizant of the fact that as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is also writing a Holy Scripture. And so watch this as he, as he shares with the church around A.D. 65, uh, just prior to his martyrdom in A.D. 66 by Nero, uh, he, he walks the church through just some of the basic axioms uh, of the Christian faith. And so what he's going to do is he's going to remind them of the importance of the rudiments of the faith. I mean, just the basic axioms, the basic principles of Christianity 
are spelled out in these verses, and they're very, uh, I tell you, they're very picturesque, they're very elaborate, they're very strong. So let me just begin reading them, and I think you'll, you'll pick up a, along with me. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Now, these things is what he has already been writing to them. Though you know and you are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have, for the third time, he's going to use this word, that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. When he says my tent, all he's talking about is his physical body. He's at the end of his life, he knows that he is about to meet Christ, and so he is, he is wrapping up his ministry, if you will, and he is unpacking these spiritual truths, these deep, awesome truths to the church in Asia then, and through the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit, he is speaking to us even today in Christendom here in 2013. And so as he nears the end, he says, I want to remind you, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of these things, of the important doctrines of the Christian faith. And he's about to ramp up to one of those important doctrines, and it has to do with Holy Scripture. So let's keep going in verse 16. He says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For he received from God, Jesus received from God the Father, uh, honor, teme, which is exalted status, and glory. He received honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. And this voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you'll remember in Matthew chapter 17, he's talking about the mount of, anybody? Transfiguration. That's right, Matthew 17 where Elijah and Moses appeared, and there was Peter and James and John, and Jesus Christ, what was, there was a metamorphosis. What was on the inside radiated out on the outside, and Christ just lit up like this illuminating light. And God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter says, I was an eyewitness to that. I saw this. These eyes beheld the majestic glory Himself. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. We have the prophecy of the Old Testament. It is confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy or no origin of Scripture, there's the word. This is why we're preaching this message entitled, Trustworthy Scripture. He said, no origin of Scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture, excuse me, is of any uh, private uh, origin. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So what we have here today is a great sermon from the apostle Pastor Peter uh, to his people there in Asia Minor. It's really a sermon about uh, the Word of God. As I studied this passage, I got so excited because I began to think about uh, in a few weeks, beginning in September, uh, the first lecture that I'm going to get to do in systematic theology here in our church on Thursday mornings, it's called Bibliology. It is a study of the canon of Scripture, the doctrine of the Bible. 
Why do we only have 66 books of canonical Scripture? How did we receive the Bible? How did God convey His holy message to those men who, who wrote down Holy Scripture? And so we're going to talk about that more in detail on September the 12th. But as I was studying this text, it reminded me of just how blessed we are. Here we are today, and especially in our great country, we have the Word of God before us. We can read it, we can study it, we can memorize it, and I can study it, and I can share a message with you today in such a context like this, specifically on the importance of, of Scripture. Let me remind you, many of you already know this, that God is a revealing God. He reveals Himself constantly. God wants you to know Him more than you want to know Him. He wants to make sure that you understand who He is what He's all about, how much He loves you, what to great lengths He went to communicate who He is. Here's how He does it. Number one, ouch. He communicates through general revelation. He reveals Himself through nature, and the Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and, and it is speech is night unto night, day unto day. God speaks to us through His mighty hand of creation. He also speaks through His acts in history. And then thirdly, in general revelation, He speaks to us in the inner man or the conscience, the moral compass of man. C.S. Lewis said, that's one of the primary ways I came to faith in Christ is the moral argument for the existence of God. Mankind has this sense of oughtness. We have this innate sense of what is right and what is wrong. Where did that come from? How does evolution explain uh, uh, this concept of morality. Well, it can't. There has to be a God who created it and implanted it in us, and that's God speaking. That is God revealing Himself through general revelation. But primarily, He reveals Himself through what we call special or specific revelation, and that is where God has revealed Himself through this love letter. Sixty-six books that He went through great lengths over 1,400 years, he made sure that those men, it says, they didn't write it of their own interpretation. It wasn't of their own origin, but the Holy Spirit of God moved upon them, and they received this message of Scripture, and God speaks to us through the living Word, the Word of God, and He also speaks to us through the living Word, the person of Jesus Christ. So, with that in mind, let's look at this special revelation that God gives to us uh, through the Scriptures. Now, you got to keep this in mind. This is what Peter has in mind. He is revealing God to us, and he's going to do it primarily through this means of God's Word. So, first of all, look at it. If you're taking notes, it's called the memory of God's Word. Three times the Apostle Peter says, I want you to know, I want you to be reminded, please keep this in mind. He has the sense of expediency. He has the sense of urgency. He knows that he is about to go to heaven to be with Jesus, and he wants to make sure that his congregation is firmly embedded in the truths of the Scriptures. Listen, he knows what is about to happen. He knows that there's difficulty, there's travail, there's temptation, there are trials coming, and he knows that if his people are built upon the rock foundation of Christ and His Word, then he knows that they will be able to endure the persecution that is to come. Verse 12 says this, For this reason... I will not be negligent to remind you for this reason of Christ and, and who He is and what you've received in Him. I will not be negligent to, here it is, the first instance, to remind you always of these things, these things. How many times does Peter say that in this first chapter? These things refer to all that he has written, all that he is about to write, the truths 
of who Christ is and who we are, these moral virtues, Christian additives that we've received in verses 5 through 7, I want to remind you of all these things that through these you will know and you are established in uh, the, present, the present truth. Notice that he says in verse 12 that knowledge precedes being established uh, in the truth. Did you get that in verse 12? You know, and therefore since you know, you are established in the truth. Peter is a great pastor and a great apostle. He wants to go to great lengths to make sure that his people are established in the doctrine of the faith. And, and one of the things I think we need more than anything today, especially in, in America, in our churches in Christendom, is to be more firmly grounded in the truth of God and to transform our Sunday morning worship, move it away from the performance mentality and moving away from what is in it for me, moving it out of that and moving it into more of how awesome God is, how wonderful His Word is, and how you and I can be firmly embedded in the truths of the Scripture so that when difficult times come, our feet are from the solid rock and we are able to endure. So many people today in America have abandoned the church. Uh, they have abandoned the church because they have been fed a steady diet of potato chips and ice cream, and they haven't gotten the nutrients of Scripture so that I talk to people all the time, say, oh, I used to go to church, and now they got this big, huge spiritual chip the size of a boulder on their shoulder. You know why? Because they have no foundation. They have not been taught the deep truths of Scripture. Let me tell you something, guys. The more, the more you know Him, just the more you love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you trust Him. And when difficult times come, and they do come, they will come. You will have the greatest intentions. Your heart can be pure. You can go to Canada and want to tell the whole world about Jesus, and bad things will happen to you. Well, what do you do during those times? Well, if you're built on the rock, you can say this. You can say, God, I don't really understand all that's happened to me and why I've got my, I'm in this predicament. But you know what, God? You are awesome, and you are worthy to be praised and to be trusted. And that's just the truth. I think about the Mahalik family, um, Charlie and Jennifer and Abby. They, they are here today, and we've been praying for them uh, for many weeks as Abby was up on a mission trip, and she was placed in the hospital in the emergency room, and they still are trying to figure out everything. Where are the Mahalics? Aren't y'all here somewhere? God bless y'all. Uh, they, they love the Lord. They're still serving the Lord, and bad things are happening to them. Well, why are they in church? Shouldn't they be mad at God? I mean, shouldn't they be shaking their fist up at God and say, wow, this is what missionaries get for serving you? Well, this is the way you treat your friends. I'm glad I'm not your enemy. You know what I'm saying? Why don't they do that? You know, if my leg wouldn't hurt, I'd be stomping by right now, I'm telling you. <laughs> why, why do they do that? It's because they've got depth. Are you with me? Depth. My greatest contribution to Great Hills Baptist Church will be that we're going to be teaching you the deep things of God so that when it happens and all Hades breaks loose on your life, that you'll stand strong because you've been reminded of these things, these important truths like Peter's preaching here. He says in verse 13, remember, he's keeping in mind, I'm reminding you, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent. Now that is just the nomenclature of body. As long as I'm in this physical body, I want to stir you up. And I love that. That word stir you up means to wake fully and to arouse. And it also means the wind that stirs up the ocean. 
And Peter said, I know I'm stirring you. And I know some of these truths are hard. And I know that some of these things I'm teaching you that's not very spiritually palatable. And and maybe you want a lesser diet and you don't want so much strong teaching. But I'm telling you guys, I want to stir you up. And I want you to... And you ever notice that when the Word of God is taught and preached, two things happen. You get stirred up either unto depth and to closer to God, or you get stirred up unto agitation or unto meanness. And I found this, this happens, and it, and it continues to happen even in our great country. I was reading a story John MacArthur talked about, and he, he actually gave two stories about two pastors. The first pastor, he said, you know, um, I started, I made a change in my, in my ministry, and I started preaching the Bible, and we lost two-thirds of our congregation. Two-thirds of our church said, we do not want that stuff. And the pastor said, but I'm not discouraged because the third that are remaining, they do want it, and they want to go deep with God and do great things for God. The second pastor MacArthur talked about was this guy. He said, Bless his heart. I feel sorry for him, but listen to him. He said, I started teaching them the Word of God. I started doing Bible exposition. Forty-three of the key people of the 89 in our church have left, and now they're voting whether they're going to keep me. And I thought, well, bless his soul. But you know what? That's what you get. You teach God's Word. You go deep with the Lord. You remind people of the importance of Scripture. The Word of God, Hebrews 4.12 says, it cuts some unto healing and it cuts some unto agitation and even to meanness. Then he says this, I want to stir you up. I want to remind you. And then verse 14 says, I know that I'm going to be with Jesus soon, that I will put off this tent just as Christ showed me. If you'll check this in John 13 and John 21, Jesus tells Peter about his impending death, his imminent death. And that death now is for sure only a few months away. But in verse 15, he says, one more time, I want to remind you to be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things even after I am gone. And so what he wants to do, his, his great objective is that the church would be deeply grounded and rooted in the nutrients of the Word of God so that when difficult times come, they will have the memory of God's Word uh, in them and they can rely on it. You know, a lot of my responsibility as a pastor is to remind you of what you already know. How many of y'all have a photographic memory? I mean, some of you may have a... I'm I'm looking, okay, I don't see anybody. I certainly don't. And so, all of us, no matter how much we know, it is imperative that when we come together on Sundays... And when you get together in your Bible life groups and your small groups, it is absolutely imperative to be reminded and to be taught truths that you already know because not everybody has a memory like the guy I played golf with. I was playing golf with this guy, and uh, this is is true. Some of y'all are going to think this didn't really happen. I I promise you this really happened. Uh, Once a year, we go down to uh, Orlando, and we, we play golf. So much for playing golf, amen. Um, we play golf in, our, in, in November in Orlando, and there is, we just have a great time. It's a group of pastors. And I was in a group with this one pastor, these two other pastors, the four of us. And after we played, this one pastor from Louisiana, he goes, he goes guys, I just got a confession. He says, I have a photographic memory, and I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. And I thought, what do you mean by that? He says, for example, every shot every one of you 
made today in five hours, I know what it is. And I can tell you right now, and I thought, that's impossible. Ain't nobody got a mind like that. You can't remember every shot. I said, what did I do on hole number three? He said, you hit your tee shot in the water, out in two. You hit your third shot in the water, out in four. You hit your fifth shot in the sand trap. You came out of the sand trap, and then you two-putted for an eight. You had an eight. I wanted to hit him, you know, upside the head. I said, how did, how did, how did you remember? He says, I can do that for every single one of you. It's, he said, I don't know if this is a blessing or a curse. I said, I know what it is, brother. It's a curse. I don't want to hear I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but be honest, not all of us have memories like that. And so that's why I, I think that's why Paul, I mean, Peter is saying, listen, I want you to know, to know that you know the truth And I want the memory of the Word of God to be deeply embedded in your soul so that when hard times come, you're ready to face these difficulties. Number two, he talks about the majesty. Oh, I couldn't wait to talk to you about this part. The majesty of God's Word. And beginning in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. No, we didn't follow those fables. The Greek word there is mythos. It's where we get the English word myth. We didn't follow myths when we made known to you the dunamis power and the coming parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. He's talking about the majesty of Jesus. And he's talking about, now, when you talk about the Word of God, you talk about the written Word of God, the Bible, and you talk about the living Word of God, Jesus. And Peter says, I'm going to tell you something, guys. I'm not yanking your chain. I'm telling you the absolute truth that we saw. When he says we, he's talking about Peter, James, and John. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3 says, listen, we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. The word of life. This is not a fable. We did not concoct this. We did not dream this up. This is all divine revelation. God has revealed himself to us in his son. And we are telling you this is not a fable. Please trust us. The evidence can be corroborated. Our eyewitness evidence can be validated. Go and check it out. And so he's, he's, he's very passionate at this point when he says, we saw him and when now we proclaim unto you the dunamis, his power, in verse 16, and his coming. Now, it's interesting. What Peter is talking about is the second coming of Christ. You may not get that in your first reading of verse 16. But whenever parousia is used, almost every time it's used to refer to Jesus' second coming. And here's Peter's argument. Here's his spiritual syllogism. He is telling them, listen, Christ, he came, trust me. I saw him. I witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was amazing. It was awesome. And he died. He arose from the dead. He said he's coming again. Now, here's where you get to some of the real root issues in in Peter's epistles. There were a group of people in the church who discounted the parousia, the second coming of Christ. They said, ah, yeah, Jesus may have come the first time, but we don't think he's going to come again. And Peter's like, I'm telling you guys, if you can believe that he came the first time, and it is recorded and it is embedded in our hearts and minds, you ought to be able to believe that the majesty is going to come a second time. And so this is what he's getting at. And there, when he uses this word majesty, megaliotes, it means impressive beauty and royal power. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God. Now he's going to go past tense. He's going to go back in time. In verses 17 and 18, I just read that to you a moment ago. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And what a glorious passage that is. 
and I don't have time this morning, but why don't you this afternoon go and read Matthew 17, 1 through 5. And there you will see where Peter is talking about the majesty of Jesus. I mean, there he is with Moses and Elijah. And, and God the Father says, this is my beloved son. And Peter is telling them, yes, it was an awesome experience. Look at verse 18. We heard this voice. It came from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. Have you ever gotten to the place where you're so convinced of who Jesus is? And you're, you're so excited about his majesty. That's the way we felt this week. We, you know, we were up in Canada and we were knocking on people's doors. We were going door to door and we were just telling people about Christ. And so many people would just laugh at us. I mean, literally one guy, he looked at me like I was from Mars. And he just literally turned around and walked away. And I was just, just left there standing with the little door hanger I was trying to give him. Even when I got on the plane last night, 11 o'clock, coming out of Atlanta, and, and a lady from Austin, she goes, what is, what is this group about? And I said, well, we are, uh, I, I just had a feeling, I, I just knew what she was going to say. And I said, well, we're from Great Hills Baptist Church, and we're doing a church plan trial. And she goes, oh, that's nice. She turned around in her seat. So I took my crutch, and I said, hey, listen to me when I'm talking to you. Her husband did not like that. I'm just kidding. Of course, I didn't do that. So I love what Chad told us. Chad told us this. He said, guys... We ought to always live on mission. Because if we're afraid of no, 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 then we will miss the yeses that Jesus has for us. Listen, you're an eyewitness of what happened. You said, I wasn't on the Mount of Transfiguration, no. But you were there that day. He changed your life. You were there that day when the Spirit of God came upon you. And Jesus Christ became real to you. And now Jesus wants you to share that message with others because in a real way, you're an eyewitness. I, I keep thinking about that word eyewitness. While we were on the trip, um, I was able to finish, I uh, almost finished two books, but I did finish uh, The Witness by Whitaker Chambers. It's an 800-page book about a man in the 40s in America who was a spy, espionage, with the, with the communist government. Let me sit down for just a second. This thing's starting to work on me. And um, hold on just a second. Cool. All right, so Whitaker Chambers, um, in the 20s and the 30s, he was a spy and he was working for the communist, uh, really working with the American communist group, but also working with the group out of the Soviet Union. And he was deeply entrenched in communism's religion. Does anybody know what communism's religion is or was? It's atheism. And so he firmly believed in atheism. There is no God. There is no purpose. Just make what you can out of this life. Well, that began to change one day. He was sitting there. He, he, him and his wife had children, two children. And, 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 and Whitaker Chambers is brilliant. And he sat there and he was staring like this at his daughter. He was just staring at her as she was eating her breakfast. And he was just looking at her like this. He said, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And he says, and I was looking at her ear. Now, can you get this? You're, you're a little toddler. You're eating. Your dad's just staring at you. You know, I imagine the little girl's like, Dad, you all right? And he's just looking at her like this. He said, I looked at that ear. How symmetrical, how amazing, how purposeful, how utilitarian, how it's, it's used so, so valuably. And he said, I began then to say, wait a minute. Evolution could not put that on a head. Somebody 
had to plant it there. And so the seeds of doubt were sown as he looked at his daughter's ear. Keep that in mind. So he's walking through his life, and he begins to become disenchanted with communism. And then finally, over a series of events, he converts to Christianity. He becomes a follower of Christ. In the 1940s, if you've read The Witness, just, just stay with me for a minute. It is, a, it is an excellent book. If, most of it is. <clears throat> but anyhow, you get through toward the, toward the end, you really see the, the gem of this, of this book. In the 1940s, the Un-American um, Activities Committee of the government, chaired by none other than Richard Nixon, began to question him about a man by the name of Alger Hiss. Alger Hiss was prominent in the American government in Washington, D.C. He was a graduate of Harvard University, had his law degree. And Whitaker Chambers said, he is a communist, and you guys don't know it. Oh, they said, you've lost your mind. He is one of our leading citizens in America. Alger Hiss would never be a communist. And for two years, they scorned and they laughed at Whitaker Chambers until he said these words. He said, I want to tell you something. I was an eyewitness. I saw him engage in espionage, and he pulled out this sealed envelope with facts, with Alger Hiss's signature and with memos from the government to the, uh, to the Soviet Union. And so, of course, he was, incar- he, was, he was convicted, he was incarcerated, and he was so because in a court of law, whenever there is an eyewitness, it is amazing. And Peter says, let me tell you something, guys. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. And so take this message that we're given unto you, embed it in your memory and in your mind. This Jesus Christ who changes people's lives. He is real. He is awesome. Mm, and he is coming again. That's, that's Peter's message, all right? It's awesome. Okay, now number three. Let's, let's move into the message of, of God's Word. And this is, uh, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. And so he says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Now I want to stop right there because there are two different translations about this phrase. And I want to go ahead and talk to you about both of them. The first translation goes, we have the more sure prophetic word. And what Peter is saying is, we have the holy word of God. We have the prophecy of the Old Testament. We have, you want to come help me, brother? Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. That's okay. Thank you. I always get a little nervous when people walk up on the phone. <laughs> Did you come in peace? <laughs> Students, he's a person of peace. He's the people we were looking for in Canada. How'd you know I was so thirsty? Did you take the cap with you? It's right there. I have ADD and all these things. You got to put the cap back on, all right? Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Man. Church family, I got issues. I just want y'all to know I've got, I got issues, so it has to be on there. Okay. Whew. Terry Hurt said it was hot up here, and he was not kidding. Man, it's, it's toasty. There we go. All right. So there are two, and I want you all to get this because it, it really impacts the way you look at verse 19. 
The first translation says, and so we have the more sure prophetic word. And what he's saying is, I've given you an experience that I saw with my sensory perception. I saw Christ. I, I saw him on the transfiguration. But even what trumps my experience of what I saw is that we have the written word of God. And that is very important because the Old Testament talks a lot about a coming Messiah. And so Peter says, even more important than what I saw visually, we have even more substantial reasons to believe because of the, the Word of God. And that's what, he, that's what many people believe he is saying here, what he says, and so we have a more sure prophetic word. That's one translation. The other translation goes like this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And what, he, and what some people believe he's saying here is, the prophetic word of God that has been given to us in the Old Testament and that has been given to us now in the New Testament. By the way, Peter and Paul and the apostles, they knew. They knew they were eyewitnesses, and they knew God was speaking to them, and they were recording what we would have now as the Word of God. And so what the second interpretation says this, the transfiguration that Peter saw confirms that the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, well, here it is. This is confirmation. So we have the prophetic word in the Old Testament. It is now confirmed by what we have seen with our own eyes in the person of Christ. And then he says, he goes on, which you would do well to heed or to believe as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Let me share with you what's going on here. This is such a great passage. Peter is saying, listen, you've got the the light, and the light of God shines in a dark place. Remember this verse, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and what? A light unto my path. He says, you have the word of God that shines in a dark place. Watch this. Woo! Watch, don't, don't miss this. This is really powerful. You have the word of God, but watch this. Until that day, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In Revelation, Jesus is referred to, we'll see this in a moment, as the bright and morning star. Here's what one writer says, and I really like this. He says, at Jesus' second coming, Christ will replace the perfect temporal revelation of Scripture with the perfect eternal revelation of His person. He will fulfill the written word and write it forever on the hearts of His people. In other words, we will always have the Word of God, and it is precious, and it is important to us here, and it will be in heaven. But even greater will be the, the King. We will see Him with our eyes, and the morning star arises in our hearts, meaning we will be with Him forever and ever, the bright morning star, Christ Himself. All these prophecies, all these scriptures that point to Him, and when we are with Him in heaven, we see Him face to face. Knowing this, He says, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private uh, interpretation or private origin. He says, we can trust the veracity and the trustworthiness of Scripture. The origin of Scripture was not of anybody's private or anybody's own monopoly. But no, look at verse 21. For prophecy, or the Word of God, never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. This is an interesting word. The word moved, pheromenoi, means the wind that blows upon the sails of a ship. 
And so put picture in your mind's eye. We'll talk more about this on, in September. If you're here, September 12th, early morning. That when the men of God recorded Scripture, I believe that exactly what Peter says, that they kept their personality intact. For example, when you read Luke and Acts, it's some of the greatest Greek grammar you'll read because he's very educated. He's a physician, a doctor. And the Holy Spirit takes his temperament, he takes his personality, and, and he gives him that gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and it is recorded as the Holy Spirit of God moved upon him. Listen to this. Peter, he's cognizant of this. His preaching was recorded, and we have it today. It is the gospel of Mark. The gospel of Mark is the apostle Peter's sermons. And now here we have First and Second Peter. And Peter could say, I know from experience. And we can trust the scriptures. Remember, he's talking about embedded in our mind memory. We have the majestic living word of Christ himself. And now he's having this message of Scripture. The message of Scripture can be trusted. And let me close with this great verse. Listen to this, 2 Timothy chapter 3. For the, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, theonoustos, breathed by God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. So, as he closes out chapter 1, I, I want you to just walk away today with these, with these closing thoughts in mind. First of all, it is so important that you have a knowledge and an understanding of the Scriptures. That's why Peter said over and over, I remind you, I remind you, I remind you. Because if you have these deep truths of Scripture deeply implanted in the, in, in the soil of your soul, you will produce great fruit. And when the winds and when the travails and the hurricanes blow upon your life, you will be able to stand because your feet are on the solid rock of God's Word. So have the memory of God's Word and then the majesty of God's Word. Oh, Peter, is, I think Peter's so excited what he's saying. We saw him. We saw the living Word of God in all of his glory and all of his majesty. There Christ was. And so you can trust us that we're communicating to you the truth. And what I take away from that is this. Man, when you have those moments with Christ and teenagers, students, some of those moments that we had with God in Canada, I mean, when we felt his, I mean, his presence was just palpable. I mean, we could feel it, and, and he was with us. And, and those, are those, those are those benchmarks, those moments where we need to go back to in time and say, God, in my season of doubt and in my days of difficulty, Lord, I've seen you. I've seen you shine, and I've seen you work powerfully in my life. And so I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fear. In this, in this travail of my soul, I'm going to remember your majesty and how you have blessed me so greatly. And then remember this message, this message of the Scripture and how important it is, that it is a light unto our feet. It is a lamp unto our path. It was given to us by God himself as the Holy Spirit of God gave it to us. As men of God were moved and they recorded this, this book. And so I want you to take these truths home with you today and hide God's word in your heart so that you won't sin against him. Some of you are here today and, and I, I tell you, you're, uh, you, just, you just need the Lord. I, if you would just come to Christ today and you would believe on him and really surrender your heart and your will to him, he would make a tremendous difference in your life. He'd make a tremendous difference in your marriage, in the way you, you live and your finances. If you just say, God, 
I've tried this my own way now for many days, many years. I cannot do it. God, I fully surrender my life to you, Christ. Would you come into my life and would you save me? Would you change me? Then God will begin this awesome work of salvation that leads to just being deep in him and walking with him. So we're going to invite you to do that today. Some of you even today. Maybe that's why God got me out of bed this morning and got me on this crutch to say there's somebody listening on television. There's somebody watching us live on the internet. There's somebody here today that needs to know that Christ is real. Christ can be trusted and you need to receive him as your savior today. Some of you are here today and you know the Lord, you love the Lord, and you just need to be in fellowship. You need to be in fellowship with God's people. And I know this is a big fellowship, and I know we got lots of people here, but we would love, if God so leads you, to come and be a part of Great Hills Baptist Church. In fact, I don't know how this is going to go, but the next hour I'm going to teach our church at Great Hills, which is our new members class. And if you're here today and you want to get a bite of lunch with us, we'll feed you, and then you can come and I'll teach you what it means to be a member here at Great Hills because our church is different. You say, boy, you're not kidding. Your church is different because we are going to make much of Christ, much of the Scripture, and we want to take you right where you are. As Chad was talking about a moment ago, we don't, we don't want you to be all try to dress yourself up and be something that you're not. We want you to come just as you are, and we want to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. Watch this. What I'm about to say next will cause some of you to leave and never come back. And it's going to cause some of you to come and never leave us. What I'm about to say next. When you come to Christ, our goal is to take you where you are and disciple you and grow you up so that you go and tell others about Christ. And you go and make other disciples. And for some reason, in our country and in our culture today, that is almost anathema. Because people say, well, if I come to your church, I guess you mean I'm, i got to get serious. And i got to take this Christianity thing seriously so that i got to lead somebody else to Jesus and help them grow. Woo! Hallelujah! Amen! Hallelujah! That is exactly right. That's exactly right. And for some, I know that that repulses people. And you'll walk, some of you will walk out of here today and you'll say, Honey, y'all, you think we ought to join that church? No, I don't, I don't really think so. I, I don't know. The music wasn't that preacher. I, don't, I just don't think. That wasn't it at all. That wasn't it at all. You know, you know that when you come to Christ, we're going to help you and we're going to grow you so that it changes every fabric of your being so that you make other disciples. I know that's not for everybody. But I praise God it's for somebody. And some of you will want to come. You want to unite with our church, and we want to go with you, okay? Mercy. Okay, let's pray, and we'll have our invitation. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the power of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, you are exactly who you said you were. And that, Lord, you have given us a written revelation of the word of God. And, Lord, it's not just that we... Know that you existed and you lived, Jesus, on this earth for 33 years. And Peter, James, and John saw you. But Lord, they recorded what they saw. So that we in our faith today in 2013, we can, it can be based not on mythos, but on truth. And so God, today, thank you so much. I believe today, Lord, that in my weakness and in my frailty, that you were communicating through me. 
how important it is to know the Word of God, to be deep in the Word of God, and to know who Christ is so that when trials come, our feet will be firmly planted upon the rock. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that that message, Lord, and the example of the Mahalics, and the example, Lord, of, of our students, and the example of so many others who say, we're going to take God seriously, and we're going to love Him even if we think He disappoints us. Because, Lord, we know that you never really disappoint us. You only allow tragedy and difficulty to make us stronger. And Lord, I just believe that. I don't understand all that. I don't know how you do all that. But Romans 8, 28, Lord, it's still in the Bible that you work all things together for good to those who love you, to those who are the called according to your purpose. So Lord, I want to pray today. If there's somebody here at Great Hills with a spiritual chip on their shoulder, and Lord, really the truth be known, they're a little bit upset with you They're angry with you because things didn't go well in their job or in their marriage or in their church. And Lord, they're just, they're a little bit fragile. I just pray, God, that you would just remind them of that great song we sang a moment ago. That your mercy, that your mercy is just enveloping them and extends to them. And I pray today, Lord, some may just want to come to this altar and just do business with you and say, God, I'm coming back home. I'm coming to you, Christ, today. Others of them, Lord, that you are calling I know you're not calling all, Lord, but I know you're calling some in our church today to be members of Great Hills, and I'm so excited about that, Lord, because I want to be their pastor. I want to teach them. I want to try to lead them, Lord, to serve you with with an abandonment. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to us today. And finally, Lord, I do pray, if there's somebody that's here, Lord, that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, that, Lord, when we stand to our feet, they will walk down this aisle, They will take one of these pastors by the hand and say, you know what, today is my day. I know that I need God. I know that he's real. I know Jesus died for me and arose from the dead, and I'm ready to live for him. God, would you allow us to see you save people even today? For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church family. Would you stand with me? And uh, Terry's going to lead us in a song of invitation. And when we invite you, we invite you to come as the Lord has spoken to you today.